Hi, uh, welcome to the penultimate event in the new writing series for this quarter. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to have a very special event. Uh, Jer Jerome Rothenberg and the uh, Luxembourgian uh, poet Jean Portante will be here. Uh, so, uh, same time, 4.30, should be a great event. Uh, as should this one. Uh, thank you to the Dean's Office of Arts and Humanities for funding our series, and thank you to the uh, Visual Arts Program for letting us use their uh, lovely, lovely space. Um, someday we're gonna open this garage door and your minds are gonna be blown. But it's too dark out there right now. Um, so uh, the way this is, is going to work is we have two uh, MFA uh, introductions uh, for both our readers. Um, first, uh, we will have April Paletta will be uh, introducing Gillian Connolly. And is that the wrong? Is yeah. That? You're, you switched us Hannah's first. Is that right? No, I think Gillian's going. Oh, yeah, I got the wrong. <laughs> I have so much to take care of. Okay. okay. So Hannah will be introducing Gillian Connolly. Thank you. Uh, Hannah and April will be um, introducing Julie Carr. And then we'll have a short uh, question and answer session. Um, and then uh, we'll go home with our minds blown. So uh, Hannah, do you want to take the mic from me? It's OK. You can sit down. <laughs> writing, 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 and people say there are too many books, though it seems to be reading that refuses to die." End quote. I picked up Gillian Connolly's eighth and most recent full-length book of poetry piece at the AWP Book Fair this past weekend. Still high from the literary weekend, I read it cover to cover on the flight home from Seattle, 33,000 feet in the air as per the pilot informed us, with nothing but whiteness outside the scratched windows. Connolly's newest work oscillates between the most intimate. I am ashamed that I would like to see inside the skull of my daughter and fix everything. I am ordinary and alone, she whispers in one poem, and the most detached of universals, of the sun she writes, when due to its tidal interactions, earth will be incinerated or ripped of what thread that keeps things so. Connolly establishes what it is to be human so she can break it. With words, she dwells in subjectivity so she can objectify it. She maps the reader into this world, addressing motherhood, countryhood, peace, literally, and the politics, quiet mornings, and white guilt, and brings it all to climax in a culminating war or apocalypse of sorts. The final poem in this newest collection, appropriately titled, begins, as a terse and dynamic breaking down of everything she just built, ending it all with the lines, Everything ought to keep on going, I imagine, my life. Telling us the words must change, the text must end, but still we keep reading, keep demanding, keep wanting, and existing. The elements that make peace such a unique and beautiful work, do we have that here today? Yes. We have it here today. Uh, the elements that make peace such a unique and beautiful work travel through much of Connolly's poetry. Her writing is interested in dancing between the subjective and objective as she zooms in on what it means to be 
and pans out on what it means to be amidst everything else. A world is created in the word with supreme attention to language and meta-language, use of ethereal metaphysics, the ephemeral and material, a single haunted moment and all moments she makes happen at once on, in one book on one page. She might paint a bird in one stanza and address a war in the next, juxtaposing the minutia of the everyday and the larger failures of humanity. But while there is sometimes an implicit call for change in her work, there is also a quiet acceptance, almost a forgiveness, as the poems end softly moving into the next, a repeating rhetoric, a life cycle. Gillian Connolly is the author of eight collections of poetry, including The Plot Genie, Profane Halo, and Tall Stranger, a finalist for the National Book Critical Award. Her work has received the Jerome J. Shestak Poetry Prize from the American Poetry Review, a National Endowment for the Arts Grant, a Fund for Poetry Award, and is widely anthologized, most recently in Norton's new Postmodern American Poetry. Her translations of three Henry Michel texts appearing for the first time in English will be released by City Lights later this fall. Connolly is also editor and founder of Volt Magazine and is professor and poet in residence at Sonoma State University. On behalf of UCSD, I am happy to welcome Gillian Connolly. Thank you. That was a beautiful, thoughtful introduction. It's good to be here. Thank you, Ben, for having Julian on. Um, everybody can hear. It's good. We can't open the store, which would be a nice thing. Maybe it wouldn't be. Okay, uh, I'm going to read the first poem I'm going to read is called Trying to Write a Poem About Gandhi. Um, I wanted to write about Gandhi and did a lot of research and first you have to go through the whole thing of who are you to write about Gandhi, right? And in the research I found out a lot of sort of un-Gandhi-like things about Gandhi and I thought now I really can't write a poem about Gandhi and then ultimately decided that I could write a poem called Trying to Write a Poem About Gandhi. Come on in. <laughs> <coughs> okay. And it's in a couple of sections. The future leaves roses on the bed for the long stretch of the waker at the window left to pull the day around. History props up and swarms a lot of time. Wonder will he walk back? Should we still run to keep up with them? Fingers quick to thread the spinning wheel. A dizziness in the face of a social machine. Silver infinitesimal motes shine left and hover cloud. I shake out the dryer's lint drawer into garage air. Satyagraha, no power over the soul, the body suffers. Two. A silver pocket watch pinned to a loincloth. Better to hand wash. In past and in future. Postmodernism's gone all artisan. Motes swirling up into stale garage air. Open door to let it drift out, spread into mysterious tresses. Ahimsa, a matter not of the intellect 
but of the heart. Three, beloved figures die, then stop and look to pixelite. A history sweeps and fells the picture field. In the uppermost loamy branches of the giant oak sit Thoreau, Tolstoy, Ruskin, Emerson, and Carlyle, shining down their texts. Unorthodox social moralists of the 19th century still trying to freeze hell. Many leafy wandering past participles in my neighborhood alone. Also, one assault rifle, a shotgun, two Glock pistols, one tactical armored vest. How do I know this? Several gas masks, one child's ballistic leggings, ballistic helmet, one known pedophile. Best to try not to wish anyone dead. Think John Berriman. I woke up and I had not murdered anyone. Before I turned back to the dryer, thinking why think or try to be like Marx, who said at the end of his life, I am not a Marxist. <coughs> That's my girl's lost blue sweater hung on the fence post. Best to think of even nuisances in your inbox as pilgrims on earth, immortal spirits on probation. Four, how to make of one's garden a Tolstoy farm and be chief magistrate, prime minister, main teacher, chief baker, chief sanitary inspector of a modest magnetic field produced by electric currents in Earth's outer core, on Earth's crust primarily quartz, silicon dioxide, and other silicates like feldspar. One too bright day, here comes Manu and Abba. Manu, grand niece, and Abba, wife of grand nephew, Gandhi's girls, and walking sticks, his hands on their shoulders as he walked everywhere with them toward the end. Poverty easy, but chastity eludes and means funny sleeping arrangements. Younger and younger naked girls to sleep beside to maintain chastity. Brahmacharya, elimination of all desire in the face of temptation. Accept the body, you pussy, picture field says dropping down. Great thinkers are scheming demotic despots. It's a thin line to undo and silly to be an apologist for a pacifist. Dale Carnegie, friend. Madame Blavatsky, friend. Why well, think God doesn't like pussies, cocks, girls, gondies altogether? Well, you'd have to ask the girls. And later, it's a sub-rosa geological planet with shifting hot mantles of tectonics. Someone should tell Einstein even though it's too late, who said future generations will hardly grasp that such a man as this walked upon the earth. Palm fronds for shade. Basil, peppers, early tomatoes here. Strawberries under chicken wire to frustrate deer. In the garden, moats and mites, all waxes and wanes, in shadows, leafy, deep sea ocularity.
The future drags and drifts and lifts, traces of argon, carbon dioxide and water, sun's majestic past and impending life. You cannot hope to wake anyone who isn't fully asleep, he said. You cannot wake those who are pretending sleep. And now I'll read a poem called Begins, which is a longer poem as well, and it's on, there are little short uh, stanzas that evolve over a number of pages. Begins. Begins with sound of bell, ends with briefcase dark. Glorying days pantomime, I feed on color. I take the symbols, turn them over. I don't understand a thing. When I look, I sturdy the thread on the lake, form. When I look, a face, a living unity recomposed. My beloveds cannot unwire in time for dinner. Against these couches, these islands they run. The hallways blur. Nothing holds at this exposure. I didn't want my eyes to be my reality negator. Thick black plastic laid down over weeds, bewitched female mass. Spinoza tells us the animals walk solitary in the rain and do not question being whole. I cannot see and it is irritating me. Memory reigns all over my family. Memory reigns all over my work. Slow cool of the ice in my cheek, I am ashamed that I would like to see inside the skull of my daughter and fix everything. I am ordinary and alone. A bosomy female figure appears behind the screen door, the smell of parrots. A ribbon falls from my daughter's hair onto her plastic town. In the big green and athletic fields, one could imagine a particularly rigorous amount of fucking. At my gate, the saturated, mildly hysterical birds of paradise stare one into the other. I am committed to the visual, though I like talking too. And wearing several pairs of glasses, that is like the description of a film. One pupil never sees the other, though both may shift and run. Likewise, the dirt was fine, moist, and coal black. Good to grow up, around, and in. The history came along unyielding and in ill repair. A system I walked but could not climb. I met uncertain people with untaught but fully absorbed vernaculars. A waft of baking on the sidewalks, on the porches, the cloudless simplicities. To stay the field, I strode my modern town hard into the falling rain. I was running really hard away as if to stumble forward. I was one big block shape. I was many folded into a sweater. 
I had a great desire to see myself now as a mother to that image and build further a humility of splendidness, a riot of spirit I could die into and leap toward and for in joy. If the middle range would have me now, would permit me a particularly Blakeian crouching lodged too deep in my psyche, and that's what is wrong with me. If when I look out, I am turning on that subjectivity, geodesic and unlikely, hungry the narcissistic ego would find a way to get out of the pathological books. I love dancing because it makes me feel strong and beautiful and made of muscle and air. It is a weedy, unmanicured trail. Kandinsky said an object was a narrative, and so he disapproved of it. De Kooning said you are with a group or movement because you cannot help it. I just wanted a church we could go to or stand in front of and beg to allow something to remain potential so the eyes wouldn't hate their little dictators. For one eye, a small Mesopotamian figure. For one eye, a big abstract. I look, and your face is like a part of speech not spoken, a tragedy so near its comic ash. One eye is my future, one eye my mausoleum. The divine in what is seen, in which we view only the shade of possibility. A semi-reluctant scribe, I read her book, Trembling. Scattered in every territory, as one of the visibles, this dispatch. Son, I wish you each euphoriant ephemerae. Everything ought to keep on going. I imagine my life. And the last poem I'll read is called Open, and it's for Gabrielle Giffords, the U.S. representative who was shot in the head in the Safeway parking lot in Tucson, uh, the occasion of which six other, six, six people died. And um, some of the language in the poem comes from Obama's memorial speech that he gave afterwards. And about three months later uh, was the tsunami in Japan, in which there were three, three nuclear reactors that melted. And probably a lot of you remember driving around in the car and hearing on the radio how a radioactive cloud was going to come over California, but we weren't really supposed to worry about it. And it's going to be OK. So some of the language from the, that is also in the poem. Open. So it was like sleep and waking. Sleep and fraud on my visa. Sleep. California waiting out radioactive plume. And today another trying card in Miami Winn-Dixie. Did they want groceries or did they want cash? Sleep. Freeway sign said, take lucky drive to bypass bank robbery and shopping mall. So that's where the two bullets went through. 
What sphinx pushes up out the fog in the parking lot, turning each upon each our moral imaginations? If it's a gun law, this tragedy will pull through. And what was there to, and did she say, gritty blue sink of desert night sky with her off to the side like a wonder? Or your basic hospital room, sleep, a solitary male nurse, a husband. Here we pour a new layer, visible for all to see how we want to be as transparent as possible, but remain gradient, dangerous when once it was them, an error, and a horror now that it is. What are we to the man who attacked the gunman as he started to reload? A constituency? Ducks in the arcade stir a glassy water. Sleep, amplify, gun with cord tied to it so no one will take it. The little girl with a hole in her chest. First girl player to play in the middle leagues. Gritty blue sunken shame as if the desert could hiss, fold, the six dead behind her eyelids. Leave them open. Let us place no more constraints on the eyes of the dead. Illegible cross-outs turned inward, searching themselves to escape like figures met in a dream. She is walking down the hall with a shopping cart. Never and always a back to the door. Whose side? Once she appears again, but they won't show her to us at her husband's launch of four spacewalks to install the alpha magnetic spectrometer it will take all four walks to sift, sleep, through cosmic rays to define the origin of the universe. But by now, that plays a minor key. It could be plutonium. It could be uranium. We just don't know. A radioactive plume to drift over California Friday by noon, a shadow of cloud on the stream, crows that range and radiate from cloud to tumbling cloud. And what will she say privately? And what will she say in that language of our conviction? This tragedy will pull through and will stand by you tomorrow. It isn't really heavily radiated water. How one eye keeps one eye on a deep and bitter thing. Thank you very much. Julie Carr's poems 
or her critical text, surface tension, ruptural time in the poetics of desire in late Victorian poetry, what I have noticed is that she creates an opening, points of connection that are both familiar and new, as familiar as Matthew Arnold's poems and as familiar as losses itself. But the way we connect to them, through her form, through her sound, through her language, that's what feels new, what leaves us open to the possibility of what the experience of poetry could be. Her work contains the inexplicable, the unsayable, and what can almost seem uncontainable. But Julie Carr consistently finds a way to connect experiences, texts, and ideas. Throughout her work, whether she is connecting lines from the Iliad or driving in the car with her kids, or her, from her early work, or from menstrual bread to burial shrouds in her new collection, Raw, which I hope we get to hear. Um, it's on the table over there. Um, you know, there is something about the work that is just momentum. There is a force that gets you to turn through each page. Um, there's a connection, it's kinetic, and you're part of it as a reader. So I honestly don't want to stand up here too much longer. I'd rather listen to the poems that both pull us forward and take us back. But I want to um, acknowledge Julie Carr's amazing accomplishments. This is an abbreviated list. Um, but um, she's the author of six books uh, recently, well, six books of poetry, including most recently, 100 Notes on Violence, uh, RAG, which we have over here, and the forthcoming Think Tank, um, which I also get to hope we get to hear from. Um, I mentioned Surface Tension, uh, which is an amazing book on the critical text on Victorian poetry, and uh, it connects to contemporary poetics, so don't be afraid to pick it up, <laughs> please. Um, I'm really in love with it right now. Uh, she lives in Denver, where she is the co-director of Counterpath Press, where she teaches in the MFA program in Boulder, Colorado. So please welcome Julie. Reality 
is going to destroy me. And Apollinaire, inhuman actors, bright new animals, give orders to tamed men. Earth, oh tattered one, the rivers mend you. From out of the wretched tide through the heat, mothers pass. It's always that the lines of color are too stark. So how can I place a hand there, there on the edge of a truck? One's body is in response, but today my face grows smaller. I want the narrative of walking to a bus. Alcohol sped to my eyelids, how power moves when hidden underground. A red flag marks buried electricity. But I thought it was buried everywhere on November 17th, and in summer, the leather carrier in his cap. I could find just one of my slippers. Nonetheless, I put it on my foot. A wasp lay dead on my desk. The majority opinion was against. My vacation, my shadow, my vacation. When will I learn to be the author of my own invention? This from the spider descending the shade. When a man puts his hand on my waist, nothing left in my cup or my word bank. I refuse, I am bribed, I refuse, but I'm good with the liquefaction process brutal response. I could hear you speaking in the alley where the girl in the lavender vest would come and go, and he who grows basil each summer hangs his jeans out to dry. Love is no way to be removed, static on the whip of the day. I was drinking, I was drunken, I was written in. And we, with eyes averted, sat by the crying woman, resting elbows on our knees in a posture of care, disregard. Just as on a plane, a woman three rows back, seated between two suited men, suddenly began to sob loud and unabashed, not bothering to wipe her tears, not covering her face, just sitting, staring forward, wailing like a baby. No one said anything, not the men. One gazed out the window, the other continued to read his screen as if nothing, not the attendants who did not come. Now in heavy spring snow, a tree loses a limb, and we are glad, an opening where was a thing. Then she stops crying, and her face clears to resemble the sidewalk beside the DMV, without anything to create shade, anything at all. The people come and go, their apprehended tasks lit by a limitless, seasonless fire. Face does not adjust itself. 
Then she stops crying. And all your care is radiant. In crayon drawings, some persons lie buried in fire and some have been suspended in a wave. Rain withdraws its praise. I'm unable to rest, her hunger crying through the vent. I wanted to unzip her coat to slide a hand under the body of a car, but I was never one to fix a machine. Elsewhere the nest of the wasp, other the birkbark and lichen. The townhouses stunned by foreclosure, the bubbling well in the mall. Now are we wanting plaster surrogates to gather nightly in our halls? Like a maelstrom with a notch, this world can dizzy even a womb, and mine is just a bit of breathing, a bit of breathing through a line. Not because I'm humble, because I'm made, made to be humiliated and to be adored. I've never until now sensed two terms to stand closer together than these. To gather nightly in our erosions, our databases, our platforms, our diagrams, if that's how you want to think about it, if that's how you want to think about it in the blue dusted dawn of a feast day, I'm certain to dissolve in the fever of what pours from your skull, officious sun. But is grieving a politics, a civic lyric on the house floor? Garrulous and peaked live candles in phase transition as the cold comes running through piles of kid clothes or Emily scrawls her name in crayon across the table. Sweltering messages in the wine glasses fallow. I go running or trudging with my gates wide open, and all investments paper themselves in the end, though the apartment is unsellable or sellable only at a reduced price, which might make you fall backward onto your head, your hoodie, a bit of cushion, but not enough, eat your chicken. Red in the flash drive, the marker top, the vaginal wall, the sleeper whose foot I shake. And what is knowledge in this condition? Everyone has a cousin like Sam. I've got to get out of here, swinging on a gate. Whose theater is it now? No, she didn't mount him. She took a bullet. A white girl and boy entered a field. One of them was in a lot of pain. The pain began in the belly, spreading into the shoulders and arms and down even into the legs. Because of this pain, the white girl and the boy walked slowly, holding hands. A few steps and then stop, a few more, stop. Look up into the mobile sky, down at the grass or over toward the trees. And then, when the one who was in pain could move again, they'd resume. They walked in order to cross a field, but the field was long, and it seemed the trees receded. The trees receded, but not the pain, which returned again and again, each time very old. 
Every field has a goat bleating or bleeding in a hazy distance with flies and lilies. A white boy felt the weight in his pocket. He called out weight his freedom and he cooked it. He walked with a lean to the left where the freedom was heavy. Circled a car, circled a traffic light. He was losing air like a balloon drifting down. Hot on the thigh, which was what he wanted, some heat. Breeze in the face carried salt, but not only. Salt from the sea and fat from the fryer. He was a boy. He could wear no makeup. No lipstick turned his mouth to ready. To find a color in this boy, you had to split him open, and all his holes were tight. A girl saw him turning circles with his freedom. She narrowed her eyes and blurred him out. Now, just smudge a pail, a haunt, a moat, a fiction. My country, said the boy to the girl, likes its children shot through. My country, said the girl to the boy, likes its women weighted or flayed. My country, said the boy, tears away. We've never really loved the human. A mother's just a wisp. And now my hope is drunk, a thought in which I do not have a face. My presence, most of all, a discharge. Alice dances the tarantella on the carpet. Between the law and the living being, the unnameable, the unnameable being with no nation is a point of imbalance steadied by no home. Hanging from clouds, intricate environments, I will come to miss. You cannot stop time. Seeking paradise, invent glass. A fever lasts much longer than thought. Time is lustful in this way. The solidity of my own flower, but who's looking, slips up his warm imagination. Are we thinking of something better? The debaters sell soot to a 14-year-old girl, and the world thrives. The sky arrives, an edifying face but I'm unsure of the etiquette of wearing equipment and headed toward a headache, a congress of meat, a civic lyric on the house floor. Hair in the grass looks like smoke, like tomorrow's problem. Alice floored and crying her eyes in, all about me, the sensation of a splatter of crimson, lively on earth, a rag on earth. May I enter the child? Prairie grass swings, slow dancer under winter's tone, touch foot to floor and laugh out the holy door. I was not aware of this bubble in my mind, this touchable object. Is there in my split pens spilt ink a known thing? All about money? No, I've loved being grown. Another day pointed to girls sleeping, lips apart, each lid as if hiding a pearl, nothing, hands clasped around a town, not there. Sycamore limbs like martyred saints 
thrown into the flames I carry and the door the sunglassed glint of a teenaged boy, my curve of recurrence, the poem stills a sky or a guy's shoulder, pigeon-coated dusk, an improvisation licentious as the spit on my wrist. So I'll just read a couple more. Thanks so much for your attention. In the froth of not knowing what's up with the body, I read of the girl who cut off her hands to avoid having to marry her brother. And in the froth of not knowing what is up with the body, I read of the girl whose father cut off her hands to appease the devil. While the girl without a face, possibly a hoax, gets a new sister. The fact is, I never much liked him, Peony's bloom. It was more or less my goal to ignore or hurt him, Peony's bloom. Being the proprietor gave me the right to do this, Peony's bloom. Since it was my property and everyone was my guest, blooming. Variously, I disliked his smell, his hair, the shade of his skin in the spring. If the heat goes on all by itself, it's not my job to turn it off, folds of folds. Once I bent over and invited him to look into my asshole, perky stems, which he gladly did at the top of the stairs, five fat flowers. At night, I could rarely sleep, and this was because of his breathing color of prom. Whatever was my general attitude, for I was full of fun, the secret in the stamen. So buried was this fun in my psyche, I rarely let it out, eat the flower. Spurting like ketchup from a packet, I cleared my throat, some more spread than others. Had to sometimes sleep under him, the tightest one is the one I want. The sensation of my knee against his genitals, the most spread open, the ugliest. On Sundays, I refused to eat a thing, color of girl parts. The fading petals, a ball of sex, unpeeled. Last one. Resting the window casing, a bowl ill with fruits. I could say that she is not dead, is almost a sky that I know well. She used to send me down to the cow barn to collect the milk. Bees rise in the lace, flies pounce the pain. Hydrangea touching no one, and I had no need to be touched. Eight years since she found herself gradually mindless, she entered the hospital and returned without the baby. Where is the baby, we asked. 
Why is mother love such a recurrent theme in novels and films? There are lovely meals waiting for you in the dining car, etc. None of this moves us exactly, but she is the genre of infinite call. Um, <laughs> I have a question uh, for Julie Carr. Um, you, you, you wrote a book with uh, poems without titles. Um, was that liberating? Was that, um, I mean, was it something when you started the book you knew this was something you wanted to do? It's something I've never thought of is having an entire collection of titles. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yes, liberating, liberating and yes, something I knew I wanted to do. Um, the Actually, the, and there are others that haven't come out yet that also don't have titles. But the, when I wrote the book 100 Notes on Violence, which was an attempt to explore violence, um, I numbered the sections 1 to 100, which felt right and uh, organizing strategy and also a kind of countdown because it was very intense to work with that material and it was good to feel like I could no way it was going to end. At the same time when it was over, um, I felt like in a certain way there was a wildness that the book was containing. 
and that the numbers were controlling and containing and sort of calming down the material, which which was maybe necessary, but um, it was definitely a, an idea then to try to um, rip it open a little bit more. And so um, RAG kind of came out of that impulse and the, and the no titles was, was a part of that. Yeah, just trying not to have too many um, boundaries around the work. Um, both of you have published profusely and um, enjoyed both your collections. And just wondering, can you talk to me about your process um, and projects that you guys have as you go through and um, put in the personal and the research and how you produce these volumes of work? Sure. Um, the, um, my process is that I don't know what I'm doing and just start <laughs> writing and attend to the material and wait for things to happen. But there, you know, the Gandhi poem, obviously I had the idea that I wanted to write about Gandhi. I did, and it, I did all that research and I really thought I, I spent like, I spent the whole summer trying to do that. And I, and I really gave up. I thought, I, there's nothing here. I can't, I'm, nothing's happening. And then when I found out um, the dirt, <laughs> then that made it, that, you know, started to click together in that way. So there, and there's another, one of my new poems that's, you know, brand new, um, happened in the same way where there was some, some research, but it was something that triggered the imagination and then I went through with that. But at the same time, whenever I've, worked in that way, I try to come at it really, really, really obliquely, and I'm just very um, wary of something bullying the work in some way, or, you know, having some kind of project, and then starting to write, it doesn't work out for me, it, it feels strained, and, and I find that, in yeah, it, so that's, <laughs> um, we were uh, we were uh, reading to some students at um, UC UC something no, Cal State San Diego the other school. San Diego State. Yeah. That one. You know, like you always give different answers to this question in a certain way because I think that um, the process of writing is very mysterious. It's very it's very much about like um, peripheral vision in a certain way. I mean. It's true that um, I have a really kind of strict practice of writing every day, um, and whatever that means, and a lot of permission to myself to throw stuff away and also to to waste time writing horrible things that I could never see the light of day, and that's, that's absolutely necessary to it. Um, but at a certain point, it seems to start to um, speak back to me, and that when I start to like listen to it as much as I am like, you know, kind of generating, I start to read back or listen, um, then that's usually a sign that something's starting to happen. And then, um, but the research part is another, a whole other element. I mean, um, when there's research involved, it's usually because at a certain point in, for me, it didn't start there. It was like at a certain point in the writing, I realized what it was I needed to write about, and then I just wanted to pull voices. like so. 
I mean, there's research for a critical book, that's really different. But research for, for this kind of work, it's really about like um, just like gathering language and gathering ideas and voices from elsewhere, which is a really big part of how I write. I mean, there's where, where I sit in my house, there's like these baskets filled with books. And so basically, I just kind of, I know what's, what's helping me, like what's my, who my friends are at the time, and I just kind of make sure they're out so I can go to them. And sometimes it's like a rhythm thing, like there's something in somebody's writing that's rhythmic that I want to hear in my head, or sometimes it's vocabulary, <laughs> like someone's got really interesting vocabulary, or sometimes it's more specifically ideas about something, you know, that I'm working on. But it doesn't start there for me. I, it definitely just starts from practice, and then, and then from that comes something more concrete. Thank you. Um, okay, so you said that uh, when a piece is speaking to you, you know it's it's going in the right direction. But um, I was wondering if you two could speak on uh, how you know when to stop, as if when is the final. You know, not just with editors and stuff. So when it speaks to you about when it should stop. You mean like an individual page or poem, or like a whole book? Um, I guess a whole book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially yours with uh, without the the titles. How did you know when to stop that? I didn't at all know, and um, <laughs> that book took a huge amount of revision and time. Um, and um, I don't you know. I try everything from like you know the classic spread all the pages out on the floor and you know move them around and walk around. This is like a really awkward thing to do. You're stepping on your palms. It's just like what. Or pin them to the wall, or, you know, all of these different strategies that I, other people use. I mean, um, for me, it's always about the music, and and so like if you think of writing a poem as kind of like writing a song or a piece, like a or a, a chamber piece or something, like writing the book is like writing a symphony, and trying to hear, literally hear when it feels like it's time for it to stop is like very much about a kind of structure and a rhythm. Um, so that's hard because it's a lot to listen to, like a whole book, and to get a sense of a whole book. It's not easy at all. It takes to a lot of different attempts. There are many, many different endings. Um, I think I'm happy with it. It's hard to know. Um, it took a lot of time. So I don't really have a good answer other than just listening, listening and listening again and again and again and not being in a rush. That's my answer. Yeah. The, I, I always think my books are finished before they are. And then, um, like, this book piece was supposed to come out a year earlier than it did. And I'm really glad that it didn't because it got a whole lot better. And I tend to um, keep revising up until, you know, the, the last minute that it goes off to the shitty printer. Um, and for the individual poems of, like, when they end and stuff, often what will happen to me lightly is that I'll have a sense of the whole, once it gets to a certain point, I'll have a sense of the whole poem, but there will be these, uh, these areas in it that I know are not right, they're not what I want. So it, is, it isn't so much a question of, the, of in, you know, I'll get the whole poem at a certain point and then go back to other areas. So maybe it's a good idea to not think about ending. 
Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I just, yeah. That's a good ending, though. That's a great ending. Well, thank you so much. Thank you.